You are listening to audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church on the corner of Ebenezer Church and Pleasant Green Road. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go to ebcconnect.org. Now here's our pastor with this week's sermon. Awesome job, guys. I was waiting to see because sometimes those songs, they finish and then they they start back up again. And I was kind of waiting, so... That's good, good stuff. That's fun, wasn't it? Um, a little bit, there's a little bit of tension when somebody says, somebody says, um, step out in the water, isn't it? Where it's a little deeper? Is there a tension in that for you? I, I remember growing up and, and going places with, with our family, and it was always that challenge to, to go. Um, and when we had little kids, you know, we always, I was always concerned about that uh, because I was the cautious kid growing up. But my, my daughter, when she was taking swimming lessons, it was one of those deals where she went and they couldn't find her. Um, she had decided that she wanted to see if she could reach the bottom of the 12-foot section of the pool. Nobody saw her go. And so she just took off, and she finally came up. I mean, they're looking, it's like, hey, there she is, kind of thing. And she came up, and said, like, what did you do? She goes, I just wanted to see if I could do it. And that's kind of been her thing the whole time growing up, is she would test and, and try things and, and get out there where it's a little more dangerous. And yeah, that's kind of the, the world we live in, is, is that, that testing and figuring out things. And when you're a Christian, when you're a Christ follower, there's some things that, that get a little testy. There's some tension in that. Uh, because we want to play it safe because we don't want to offend anybody. But at the same time, we carry a message of eternal importance that if we don't say something and risk a little bit, then, then the person that we're around may never hear the gospel. And so I'm thankful for the challenge from these guys to, to risk a little bit, to get out there and do some stuff. Um, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 10, and we're going to move through this fairly quick this morning because we get to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And I the, talk about tension because tension is part of what we're going to talk about this morning. There is tension in a house divided. Would you agree with that? You know how it works when, when things aren't going well at your, at your home and, and people are at odds in the household, then it makes it really tough to do anything. Uh, that's why they say it's dangerous to build a house. We're getting ready to test that theory again. And so there, there's that because it can cause some tension. And there are other things that we can get tense about, but a house that is in the middle of division has a hard time moving forward. Abraham Lincoln said this, I'll, I'll read it with you. He said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. I believe this government cannot endure permanently half slave and half free. I do not expect the union to be dissolved and I do not expect the house to fall, but I do expect it will cease to be divided. And we can apply that to the church, can't we? That when a church is at odds, 
If there are issues within the church body, within the church family, then it is going to be distracted and not be able to accomplish what it needs to accomplish. It will never have the influence or impact in the community where it is placed if it is at odds with each other. And we see it all the time. We run across churches. And they may be big fights, they may be little fights, but all it does is it distracts from what God calls that particular body to do. It also keeps them from being what they need to be. Now yesterday was one of those places, and if you saw it on, on Facebook, you understand this, but I, I, I shared this in a, in a video. I said, I grew up in a house where everybody rooted for the Steelers. It was just kind of the way it was. Then I married Debbie. And uh, she's okay with the Steelers, but her team's the Falcons because she grew up in the Atlanta area. So if they ever play each other, then you know what happens in my house. We're house divided. And so we could go at it, you know, and she is not a silent watcher of football games. I am. I'll sit there and I'll, I'll just kind of stew on it. And she's, she's yelling at the TV. And it happens like that when, when Pittsburgh was playing Nashville in uh, Stanley Cup finals last year. She was, she was going at it and I was just kind of going, you know, just kind of giving her that look. And it, and it creates issues. Well, sports teams, that's really no big deal. There was some of that happening yesterday, Right? That one right there. There's some homes where that was the issue. And then, you know, I don't want to leave anybody out of the mix. So some, some team had a really good day against some other team in Florida. And it was that one. So, so we, can, we can look at those kind of things and go, yeah, that's not a real big deal. It's sports teams. It's not a, not a big thing. When we start talking about the family of God, then it gets to be a big thing. And that's what Paul addresses in 1 Corinthians when he's talking about the Lord's Supper. See, division in a church family is not just cause for casual concern. Not just cause for casual concern, but a threat to the Spirit's work, a church's vision, and the positive influence in the community's culture. Get that. That when the church family is divided... It creates all kinds of issues. It messes with our ability to influence a community. It messes with our ability to move forward in a church's vision. And it messes up what the Spirit may want to do within the body. And so we're going to look at the, the potency of family, and specifically church family. And so would you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11? We'll start at verse 20, but I'll give you the, the little bit before that because Paul identifies that they are a house divided. So would you stand? We'll read this together. It says in, in verse 18, I hear their divisions exist among you, and in part I believe it, for there must also be factions among you in order that those who are approved may have become evident among you. And then he starts in verse 20. He says, Therefore... When you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and then one is hungry and the other is drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or, you, or do you despise the church of God and shame the, those who have nothing? 
What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this I will not praise you. For I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Then Paul writes this, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason... Many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the, by the Lord in order that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that you may not come together for judgment, and the remaining matters I shall arrange when I come. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for Paul's writing to this church that had some issues. Now, they had issues of division among themselves, and Paul addresses some of that here in this passage. And he reminds us of the dangers and so, Father, I pray this morning is, as we look at what your word says, as we think about our own church family, that you would challenge us to be the people of God you want us to be and go the direction you want us to go, that you would be glorified. So, Father, I pray that you will teach us this morning, you'll grow us and mature us, and that your spirit would work in and through us so that you can do what you want to do. God, we don't want to take that away from you. You deserve all glory and honor and power. And so God, do what you need to do in us that that would happen. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul identifies that there are divisions in the body in Corinth. And he says, well, what's happening is there, there's this race to the table because some are coming hungry, some are not, but there's this race to the table because of privilege, trying to get there first. Paul says, that's not the place. You should do that. You, if you want to eat and fill and, and not have that issue, then eat and drink at home, but don't come to the table. Expecting to be first and racing to it so that you can fill your belly. It's, it's interesting as Paul writes this that he's reminding us of a couple of different things. That, that there, is, there are some threats to a church family. There are three threats that I want to look at this morning. And they're not, ex, 
They're not the only threats. This is not a, a treatise on, on everything that would threaten a church family. But there are three that we need to be aware of. The first one is the threat of substitution. Threat of substitution. He says this, Therefore, when you, eat, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper, for in eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry, the other drunk. Do you not have houses in which to eat or drink, or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? He writes that, and then in 33 and 34, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. It's, it's proper for us to want to serve and want to make sure the other person is taken care of. So when we talk about one of the things that threatens the, the health of a church, when we talk about substitution, we're talking about replacing biblical fellowship with a covered dish meal. Hear that. Because biblical fellowship is not eating chicken back in the other room. That's not the idea. Biblical fellowship is a vulnerability or a transparency that exists within the family that says, you're imperfect, I'm imperfect, and we together understand that we fall under grace under the Lordship of Christ. That's biblical fellowship. Now, I don't want to take anything away from covered dish meals. I've enjoyed some. There's evidence. I love the mystery casseroles because that's part of it. And next week we're going to do homecoming and there's going to be, I don't, I don't know how many tables will be filled with, with casseroles and stuff that we don't really want to know what's in it. We just enjoy eating it. So I would encourage you, bring stuff next week. We're going to go back there. We're going to call it a fellowship. But that's not the, the biblical idea of koinonia. Koinonia has within it an intimacy that is not, not necessarily shared around a table for 45 minutes. It's something deeper than that. And so we need to be careful not to substitute that which is temporary, that which is surface for, for the biblical definition of that which is deeper and more meaningful. The church has that responsibility. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul identifies that it is the saints by calling. So it's this group of people that have a commonality together, and they need to celebrate that together. So don't substitute real biblical fellowship for that which is surface. The second thing is compromise. The other thread is compromise on essential doctrines. Now, hear what I said, essential doctrines. Here in this passage, he says, um, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And so what Paul's saying is, here's what was given to me, and I'm giving it to you. There's a passing on of that which is right. And so the older part of the congregation that has been around this church for a long time has a responsibility for passing on that which is right. You don't get a pass to do nothing just because of age or physical ability. You have a responsibility. And I would say that for the ones in the middle that you have a responsibility for, to those that are younger. And it continues down. 
Because there's no way that children, our students and children, will understand what it means to follow Christ if they don't have adults that they can see it first in. Don't compromise that which should be accurately passed down. We're going we're to talk about ministry teams at the end of the service as part of a business meeting. They, there are teachers and leaders that have given their life to sharing God's Word and studying during the week so they can share with a small group. And if you're not part of a small group on Sunday morning, I want to encourage you to find one. If you said, I don't know where to find it, I, I can give you the names. If you want to come see me, come see me. Come see Pastor Curry. Some, some Pastor Scott is up there, but he won't be up there at the end of service. He'll be somewhere else. And there are others that you can come talk to and say, I don't know where to go. We'll find you a spot. Because it's part of that passing down of essential doctrines. And so a couple things have to happen. Teachers have to be prepared to teach the Bible. And so I, I want you to know that we, we take that very seriously. So it's important for our teachers not only to teach the Bible and be prepared to share, but it's also those small groups, they're also places where you ought to be able to wrestle with truth. Say, I don't know if I understand that. Well, let me explain it. Not everybody in this room has it figured out. And there are days where you feel Christian and there are days where you're going, I just don't feel it today. There are days when I wake up and I don't feel very sanctified. I don't feel very Christian-y. Those are the, the days I don't shave. The days the hair doesn't work right. Whatever it is. I wake up on the wrong side of the bed and, and I just don't feel very Christ-like. I'm guessing that you may be in that same boat. There are days where you just didn't sleep well or whatever. And so that, that may be the day you're going, I'm, I'm wrestling with doubt. I'm wrestling with my, my life in Christ. I'm wrestling with relationships, whatever it happens to be. And the, the, the beauty of small groups and coming together and working through with somebody that has studied God's Word is you get to sit in that classroom and go, I'm not feeling it today. Help me. So it's a place of encouragement. It's a place where you can wrestle with your doubts and ought to be able to ask those questions because every single one of us has to own our faith. You don't, get to, you don't get to that place where you go to heaven and get eternal life and abundant life in Christ and all that stuff on somebody else's coattail. It is a personal decision. It is a personal relationship with Christ. So just because you grew up in church does not mean you're in. There are a lot of people that grew up in a Baptist church and they've been going there since they were T-minus nine months and counting. And they think they might have it together and they may have a relationship with Christ but have never made a decision to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. They've never gotten to that place where they said, Lord, my life is yours. I know you've heard the statistics that you know, Billy Graham said this and Billy Graham said that. But I can tell you there's probably a percentage in this room that if push come to shove, you would have to question whether you're saved. 
And I don't want you to go out of here not sure. So later in the service, we'll have an opportunity. But if you're not sure, you can come to the front. I mean, yeah, it means you have to give up some pride to do that. you got to have courage to do that. You come up front and say, I'm just not sure. Can I have a talk? Can I talk with somebody and work through this? It's that working out of those doubts and those issues so that we're not compromising that which is essential. There's some things we don't give in on. That God is God. That Jesus was the Word and became flesh. The incarnation, we don't give in on that. We don't give in on the fact that He lived a sinless life. He was the Lamb of God, the sinless Lamb of God that went to the cross in an atoning death on our behalf. He gave His life willingly for us so that we could have real life. And then the bodily resurrection. He was really, really, really dead. And then he became really, really, really alive. And he's coming back. We are going to look at the Lord's Supper in a little bit and and think about that because there's a phrase in here that, that we've got to understand and we'll get to it in a minute. So we don't compromise. So one, two, two threats so far. Substitution and compromise. The third threat is selfish ambition. I want what I want. I want certain things. I want ministries to run this way or that way. I want them to follow what my pattern is. And it may be a great pattern. It may not be the pattern that we choose. Selfish ambition has no place in the church. It can't be about what pleases me. Look at what it says in verse 27. It says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. This, this whole idea of examining oneself is to test genuineness. That's the first thing. Check the genuineness of your relationship with Christ. So here are the questions that come out of this. Is your salvation sure? Are you sure about your salvation experience? How do you know? Here's three tests. Was there a time when you trusted Christ alone for your salvation? Was there a time that you did that? The second test, is there evidence in the fruit of your life? It doesn't mean perfection. If it meant perfection, then then a lot of us would be in trouble by the time we leave the parking lot. Because there'll be some that'll cut somebody off, or somebody pulls out and gets in the way, or you go to a grocery store this afternoon or a restaurant. And you go, there's perfection, it's out the window. We're not talking about perfection. We're just talking about the fruit of your life. Is there evidence, kind of Galatians 5, 22, evidence of God at work in you? Is there fruit? The third thing, is there the experience of discipline? 
says, says here, but when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord in order that we may not be condemned along with the world. It's the idea of God disciplining his, his kids. And the whole idea, this whole idea of never spanking your children, I don't care if this is on tape. This whole idea of never spanking your kids may not be such a great idea. I remember Mark Lowry talking about the passage where it says, spare the rod, spoil the child. He said, my dad made sure I wasn't spoiled every single day. There are times when that spanking, done the right way, not only conveys love, but conveys correction. And sometimes that has to happen because there are kids, there are kids, there are adults that don't behave. I want to be careful about the adult part of that and spanking each other. I've, well, we won't go too much into that. I was thinking about coaching baseball and you know, all that kind of stuff. So have you had the experience of discipline, the Lord's discipline in your life? And so the question comes up as we get ready to have the Lord's Supper. What is your standing with God? Where do you stand with God? Then it says to judge or evaluate. And then the key verse in here is verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so we, we're careful about things that threaten our church health. The, the idea of substitution or compromise or selfish ambition and we go to check ourselves to see if we have that relationship with Christ. And, and if we do, what do we need to square away between us and God before we partake of the, this meal? Making sure that this group doesn't rush in front of that group and, and try to come to this table first. But we wait for one another and partake together in unity. One of the things in here it says, for as often as you eat this bread, drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's the idea that we do it regularly, as we do here at this church. We try and do it quarterly. We do it regularly, but not as a routine. We don't want it to be, become so routine for us on Sundays when we partake of the Lord's Supper that it's just another thing that we throw into the service. It ought to be something different and special. And unique because we're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. I started looking at that going, Paul, why did you say that? Why did you say we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes? Why didn't you add something to that? I was in a, a youth choir one time, way back. And we were doing a, 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 an Easter thing. And we, had a, we had a guy that was filling in in our music area and he was leading the youth choir. And we got to this part where he's a, we don't have enough time to practice all these songs. So we'll practice these and we'll do this. And, and, and he was leaving out the resurrection. You can't leave out the resurrection. Dude, that's incredibly important. So, Paul, why did you leave that out? He said, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Well, if you look over in chapter 15, Paul starts talking about resurrection and all that's in that, if there is no resurrection, then we're a people most pitied. We have lost our hope. 
The church family that celebrates the Lord's Supper does so in unity. They proclaim the power of God's love. And I think that's what Paul's getting at. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, from this table, we're proclaiming God's love to every single person in this room. That God was willing to to allow His Son to undergo that which we couldn't take. And His body was broken and His blood shed on our behalf. And I want to leave out anything, but, but this table proclaims the Lord's love for us. The power of that love. The resurrection proclaims the hope that we have. The hope that that we serve a risen Savior and He's coming back. But this table proclaims the love. In this, in this whole passage, if we're going to avoid those things that can challenge church health, We've got to be willing to to say, okay, if we're going to avoid those, why? Ask that question. It's because we have one message to share with a world that lives in darkness. That God loves them with an unending love. And he wants them to come into relationship with him through his son, Jesus. There is no other name by which men may be saved. There's only one way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. This table's incredibly important. And the Corinthian church had left some things out and had begun to do things separately. And they had lost their effective witness in the community in which they lived because they came to the table divided. If we want to have true influence outside the walls of this church, we must come to this table united, willing to do whatever God asks us to do so that we could have that influence for the kingdom of God and he be glorified. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and thank you for the table that we, along with with Peter, when he declared who Jesus was, that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, we come to this table united. We proclaim the Lord's death until you return. God, in that, proclaim the, the the immensity of your love for us. And the fact that once we come into relationship with you, that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And so, Father, I pray that as we have a time of just reflecting on our relationship with you, our relationship with others, our relationship just with our church family, that, God, if there's something that needs to be squared away, that we would take this time to do that. And in so doing, proclaim that you are worthy of honor and glory and worship. And so, Father, work in this time of invitation first. And then allow us to celebrate the Lord's Supper together as a church family. To your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Peter made a confession that Jesus was the Christ, son of the living God. And, and Jesus said upon that confession, man, that is, that is awesome. You didn't get that on your own. And understand that, that nothing is going to get in the way of what the church wants to accomplish when it's built on Christ. That's the idea behind Matthew 16. And so I want to invite you to stand. And if it's about praying about the unity of our church, if you want to do that, the altar is open. If you want to come and, and talk about your relationship with Christ, I invite you to come. But whatever it is that, that God's asking you to do and calling you to do, I'm asking you to be obedient. And I would say that's in line with Scripture, that we would do whatever God asks us to do. So would you stand? The music's going to be playing, and, and whatever decision you need to make this morning, do that, and then we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper together. audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church. We welcome you to join us next Sunday at 10:30 a.m. for our weekly worship service. If you have found this resource helpful, then please share it with others and check out our ministries at ebcconnect.org.